Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Would you, right where you are, just ask God to speak to you. What do you need him to do today? Tell him what you need. He will answer. Right where you are, let's talk to him. Tell him. Tell him. And then ask him to talk to you. Just speak to me. Father, we just want to look at your word. God, we want to hear from you. Don't want to hear from a man. I don't want to hear from human wisdom. God, I want to hear your wisdom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would silence me where I need to be silenced and you would speak where we need to speak. And God, I pray for the courage to rest in your word and your promises and to speak them clearly as I should. Bless our ears to hear and open them that we might hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. Come on, moms. We love you. You know, uh, the book of Samuel gives us a story of Israel's first prophet. And Samuel was born during a hard time in the nation. And in 1 Samuel, it says that the word of the Lord was actually rare. It wasn't often might feel like something today. If you watch the news, you'd feel like, man, the, Lord, the, the, the word of the Lord is a little bit rare today. It might feel like that. But he served Israel as a priest and a prophet, but he didn't come from high standing family, from nothing really. The scripture says that he came from a certain man and a barren woman. But this barren woman would travel with her husband to the temple and would pray year after year after year and believed God for a son and said, here's the deal, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you all of his days. I mean, what kind of woman could say something like that? I believe it's a woman who understood the power of motherhood, her influence in his life. She said, oh, as long as I'm around, you're gonna be there, you know? But she, but she promised God that if you give me the son, I'm going to give him back to you. And that's exactly what happened. Andy Stanley, he said this. He said, your, uh, he said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do, but someone you raise. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Powerful statement. The world rarely hears of women like Moro Graham or Nancy Edison. Anybody ever read about Nancy, old Nancy? Anybody? I haven't. Or Alberta Williams King, anybody? Just think about those last names. You know who we're talking about though, right? Billy Graham, he said this. He said, of all the people that I've ever known, and that dude knew a lot of guys, a lot of people, not guys. She, my mother, had the greatest influence on me. Powerful. Mom, do you might feel that your job isn't important? Mm. Thomas Edison said, he said, my mother was the making of me. She was so true 
and so sure of me that I felt I had something to live for. Can you imagine that? I felt I had something to live for because of my own mother. Come on, moms. You feel like nobody sees you? You feel like that work don't matter? Matters. Matters. Because you just might find the most important thing you do is someone you raise. You know, the world says in order to influence, position is power. In the next few weeks, I actually want to talk about some of the things that the world says to us that we might receive and accept and go, yeah, absolutely. And we find ourselves striving in this world according to rules that Jesus actually never set for us inside of his kingdom that he set up. And Jesus talked about these two kingdoms actually being absolutely opposed one to the other. And I think it's so easy to live around a culture and be so moved by it that we're not even aware of what's actually happened in our lives because it's just so normal, right? It's just normal. But Jesus, what he preaches is so counter-normal. And I want to look at those next couple weeks with you guys and unpack these a little bit. Again, the world may never hear of me, but that's all right. What kind of legacy are we leaving behind? And who am I raising up behind me? What will their influence be? And that is the power of motherhood that I want to talk about a little bit today. Jesus talks about a rule that we are invited into in Matthew 20. So if you've got your scripture, I want to talk about three verses for a second. And maybe if you feel like position is power, you might find yourself striving toward position living in a lot of upset because you haven't achieved or gotten to the place that you wanted to yet. And there's always that hope that it's coming though, right? Come on guys, you know what I mean? You've been there, done that. You might get it for a minute, fall away from it. You might get it and say, I don't think I was right about this. I wanna talk about position a little bit today. Matthew 20, 25 and 28. Depending whether I should read it. No, no. I need to give you background for a second. Before this happens, this is a story about a mother, by the way. And a mother comes to Jesus with her two sons, James and John. In the scripture, sons of Zebedee. And she comes to him as he's beginning to make his move. And she says, listen, my two sons need to be sitting with you on your right side when you come into your kingdom. Anybody got a mom like that? Looking out for your best? Anybody? <laughs> this, think about this for a second. Mom speaks for two sons. Hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you where my sons need to be. They need to be on your right hand when you see, sit in your, in your kingdom. Now, remember, the people thought a little differently than we understand today. We understand that there's a heavenly kingdom, but they picture Jesus having this takeover and he was gonna rule forever physically and these two boys needed to be right there next to him. Now, there's a big disagreement that begins to happen when everyone hears this and Jesus says, man, hey, you sure you can drink the cup that I'm about to drink? These boys look at him, of course we can, of course. You really will drink the cup that I'm about to drink. 
then here ensues the argument after, and Jesus brings clarity for us so we don't have to argue about position. Let's talk about it. Verse 25, chapter 20 in Matthew. But Jesus called them to him, and he said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Pause there for a second. It will not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Kingdom positions often do not match worldly perceptions. Think about it. Kingdom positions often do not match worldly perceptions. I want to talk about a couple of these words that he uses. In that first verse, in the verse 25, when he called them to him, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, Lord, that word is to control. And really the only other time that I can find that it's really used is in Acts 19, where it describes a demon-possessed person coming upon these people, trying to cast the demon out, but they don't belong to Jesus. And they try to do it in their power. And the demon looks at him and is like, I know Paul and I know this Jesus, but I don't know you. <laughs> and it says that the, the demon-possessed man comes upon them and controls them and ravages them. So when he uses this word, the lost world exercises control, domination. This is not the kingdom principle that we live by. So if you find yourself feeling like you need to control everything, I want to invite you out of that life and into the Jesus life that says, this is not how it should be among you. Parents, I think we can learn a lot from what Jesus said here. The world is maybe inviting us into a mentality that we should control. I think we should inspire. And if you inspire, you'll find yourself doing a lot less hands-on and a lot more uh, working from your heart, if I can say it like that. He continues on and he says, they lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority. The word is to privilege themselves. So the world finds privilege in position. This is not so among us. How did Jesus serve? Jesus was the highest among all of us, and yet he chose the form of a servant. And he says, I'll show you the great life. Does anybody want the great life? Let go of control, try to control your life. Stop worrying about where you're headed and begin to care about where others are headed around you. You'll probably get where you wanted to head all along if you'd care about people like that. Jesus invites us into this kingdom way of living. It shall not be so among you. Listen, control, domination, privilege, this is not how we operate in the kingdom. And I, I need to tell you, if you've gone to a church and they operated according to control or privilege, I'm really sorry. 
I'm really sorry. They went directly against the king's orders. Control and privilege are not our mentality. Jesus is going to describe it for us. Let's, let's keep going. It's not going to be so among you, but whoever would be great among you. Anybody want to be great? Must be your servant. That word is where we get the word deacon from or pastor. You want to be great? Pastor somebody. Help somebody else along. Serve them. You're invited. Did you know you're invited to serve somebody? Do you know you don't need a position to serve somebody? Do you know that? I didn't just need to give you free right. You know you don't have to have a position to serve somebody. Some of y'all need permission to serve somebody without being called pastor. In fact, don't call me pastor. Don't give me title. I'm just a patient here with you. And my doctor, his name is Jesus. He's doctoring us all. You're invited to pastor people. Come pastor well. Let's pastor together. Let's grow. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. The word is bondservant. That word slave is to choose to put yourself into servitude. The word bondservant literally means a person bound in service without wages. Anybody want to work for no money? Come on now. My ideal. Now, this is when he, when he, when he actually writes this or when he speaks this, people would have really understood because in the Roman culture, one third of the population of, of Roman kingdom was actually a servant of some kind, slavery of some kind. And another third had been in slavery and had been released. So two thirds of the population understood what it was like to be a slave. We don't comprehend that today and it doesn't capture us. So I was trying to think about like, and this might be a terrible example because I can't, has anybody ever had school debt in the room? <laughs> Parents, some of y'all paying school debt for your kids, aren't you? Anybody ever got out of debt before? Any, anybody got, congratulations, come on now. Anybody, I, seriously, no, for real. And I, what, anybody ever got out of debt, 100%? Congratulations, congratulations, man. What was the feeling like? Tell, I need feedback. What was the feeling like? <laughs> yes. What was it like, Otho? Relief. Relief. What was it like, my sister? What was it like? Do you remember the last payment? I do. I know you do, because it mattered so much. Can you imagine willingly putting yourself back into that place and feeling what you felt? Never, right? Never. But the obligation of that bill when it came in the mail, you know, and you read it and you were like, duh, But you also remember the time where you started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, when the number went way down and you were like, I'm almost there. And you probably counted down like the last, like, I don't know, some of y'all maybe like a hundred payments, you know, I don't know. But you counted down the last payment. I can't imagine feeling the relief of not being a slave anymore and then saying, I will bring myself back under that for the care of you. He wanted us to capture the intensity of that feeling. 
Some of y'all aren't out of debt, and you feel that when you see the, the payment come in the mail, and you go, oh, some more, here I go, I'm gonna work for them. He invites us into actually selling ourselves for no money for the benefit of others. And I wanna tell you, I talked to a girl in Jamaica when I went a couple weeks ago, and I was telling her about this principle. And she said, I just feel like it's so hard to love people. And I wanna, if you say that right now, I wanna tell you, it's not hard, it's impossible. It's not hard, it's impossible. If you think you can love someone in your own strength and power, you will never be able to operate in love. It's impossible. You need the power of God to be gifted to you to love somebody. He was wanting them to know and experience the weight of why the heck would I ever do that? And I'm gonna tell you, when you experience the love of God, you will be compelled to do that. Some of us need an encounter of the love of God today, and I pray today he encounters you, and I think he will, and I think he's actually speaking to us in the room. So let's remember this. Kingdom positions often does not match worldly perceptions. Kingdom positions often don't match worldly perceptions. Speaking of debt, in 1992, there was a survey and they asked people what it would take for them to live the American dream. It went to people who earned $25,000 or less a year. And those people said, I could live the American dream if I got 54, about 54, about double. They went to people with $100,000 annual income and asked them and they said, man, I'd be able to live my dream if I had about 109, about almost $200,000. And these figures indicated to these people that people always lived in the perception that if I had double what I have now, I'd be able to do what I want to do. Isn't that interesting? If I had double what I had, some of us can't imagine having what you have, and yet we find ourselves still needing more. Why? Jesus warned us in Matthew 6, he says, no one, listen, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The King James says mammon. And that just simply means the embodiment of your possessions. Now, the master does not say, some commentators said this, the master does not say that it is wrong to possess earthly treasure. He does say that it's wrong to lay it up for yourself. We are to hold it as stewards. God, what would you have me do with what you've given to me today? What would you have me do with what you've placed in my possession today? I wonder, listen to this. I wonder if James and John, if they actually knew what Jesus was about to say, would they have wanted right in that moment to sit next to him on his throne? Would they? If they really knew his message completely, would they actually want? Remember what he said? James, John, are you sure you can drink my cup? Are you sure you can drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Oh yeah, we got this, we got this. 
Anybody want to follow Jesus? You think you can follow Jesus? Anybody? That's why I'm here, Jay. I got this. Anybody? I got this, man. We'll, We'll be good. We're going... Jesus is so amazing. And I want to tell you how he lives out his message in Matthew 20. How he serves. How he comes under James and John in this moment. I want to, I want to show that to you. Because do you know what I would have done to James and John? I've been like, do you know who I am? <laughs> My guys, I was in the beginning and I created this whole thing. You think you could drink the, who do you think you are, man? I probably would have said it with a laugh, you know, like that sarcastic, like, let's give a good laugh, guys. Hey, by the way, you got your mom talking for you. You really think you're going to show up and be able to do anything? Why would you bold boys stand up and speak for yourself? You got your mom up here, you know? That's all I would have said. Man, Jesus doesn't do that at all. And in fact, I think if you have walked in here and you've said, man, I'm going to, I'm going to drink the cup that Jesus offers. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to sit with him one day. I'm going to do all the things that I said. He says, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're going to drink the cup that I give you. That's what he says to them. What did he mean when he said that to James and John? He said it in verse 23 of chapter 20. You will drink my cup. Listen to this, guys. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus knew that these guys were going to leave him in the garden by himself. Jesus knew that he was going to invite them to pray for them, pray for him, and they were going to fall asleep. Jesus knew James and John were going to leave him that day by himself. He was left alone. And yet he graciously looks at James and John and he says, you surely will drink the cup that I offer you. Now, fast forward. What was the cup that Jesus was talking about? As he gathers around his final days and he gathers his closest friends together, He brings a cup out and he says, I tell you the truth, I wanna give you a new promise with this cup. I wanna show you what I'm gonna do for you. I wanna give you a new cup to drink. Isaiah 51, 22 says, thus says your Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, The bowl of my wrath, you will drink no more. You'll never drink that. You don't have to drink that. Some of you in this room are drinking the cup of God's wrath every day. You're condemned by by your life and lives around you. You live condemned. I want to invite you to stop trying to drink the cup that Jesus drank. He wants to give you a new cup. And on this day of Mother's Day, we remember I read a study that said, do you know you lose unconsciously nine things a day? You misplace nine things. You don't even know it. Do you know why? (laughs) Toddlers, actually true. (laughs) I just went out to eat and I'm I'm sitting there and they're like, I need your ID, sir. And I I look for my, and I'm like, 
my ID is gone. And I thought my three-year-old had my wallet. Don't have my ID. So if I get arrested because I'm driving with that, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Three-year-olds. But they say, the, the study said that you lose nine items a day. You know why? Because most, we don't live conscious of all the things that's happening in our life. We just live in operation. We live out of experience or that clear pathway, you know, where you go to work and you don't know how you showed up at work that day. You know, anybody? Am I alone in that? No. Okay, thank you. But in this study, it said there's a part of our brain that we actually need to exercise. And you actually need to practice being mindful so that your memory is maintained. They said, how you do that, you actually get present in the moment and you have so many things that are coming at you all the time. Anybody feel that way? Anybody tired in their mind because you feel like so much is coming at you? I wanna invite us into this moment where we just pause. I don't want us to practice maybe even how we should practice our, our meditation with God, our prayer time with Him. The scripture says, throw all your anxiety off and bring your request to him and then move your way to thanks, thankfulness. Really moving our way, if you wanna use some of the words we use today, mindfulness. And be truly mindful of the reality of right now in this moment. Stop thinking about trying to do the things Jesus did. And I want us to focus in this moment on the cup that he not only offered James and John, but the cup that he offers you and I. You see, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath and he drank the cup of death so that you and I could be extended the cup of life. No longer drink the cup of God's wrath, drink the promise that Jesus offers you. And he says, I wanna make you a promise in my blood. I wanna make you a promise with my body. My body has been broken for you and my blood poured out for you so that you could have a guarantee before God, not because of your efforts, but because of mine. If you will take and drink and eat of me, you will have this life. It is the free gift of God. No one can earn it in the room. And if you have tried, then you have fallen short of God's glory. Hear me now, the word of the Lord. You no longer have to strive toward him. He strived toward you. Receive the good news today and be set free to serve and care for other people. But if you are constantly worried about yourself and needing to achieve or move down a line of position in the eyes of God, you will find yourself serving no one but yourself. Be free from that, friend, and actually do the rules of the kingdom because position is thrown out the window. Jesus has accomplished the position. He invites anyone who will come, come. Receive the truth and be set free. The good news. Some of us are relieved in the room today. Let it be a miracle in your life. This is true. Receive it. But now in this moment, some of us, in the same way we lose things all day, we've misplaced our hope. We've misplaced love. We've misplaced joy and peace, patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. How could we possibly get that back? I wanna practice that with you. And we're about to sing a song. And as we sing this song, I want you to practice. Let's throw everything off that we've been striving toward for a moment. And let's be mindful about what 
our king has offered us. I want to read Isaiah again. This is what the Lord says. Who pleads, listen to this, he pleads the cause of his people. Do you know you have an advocate who's pleading your cause today? Do you feel like no one represents you? It says God represents you. He's pleading your cause. Jesus pleads your case. Behold, I have taken from your hand. Some of you have clasped hands. Just open them to him. I've taken from your hand the cup of staggering. That word is, means the result of being drunk. Anybody ever been drunk? It's heavy. It's, de- it's depressive. I want to take from you that heavy life and I want to take the bowl of my wrath. You're not going to drink it anymore. Don't drink it anymore. Receive the kindness of God through the person of Jesus as he offers you his life because he died for you that you might have life. All right, where you are, you can bow your head and let's just be mindful of that in this moment. You know, John, I believe it's this message that as he writes this, he wrote Revelation, by the way, but I want you to think about a guy who said, I could drink your cup. I can do it. Only to find himself abandoning Jesus, leaving him alone when he said, I could surely do it. Some of y'all feel like that in the room today. God could possibly forgive me. Years ago, I said I'd follow you, Jesus, and I've, I've failed more than I've succeeded. John wrote this in Revelation 1, and he said, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. He was less interested in his position, and he ended up serving people and dying exiled because he was so impressed with the message of Jesus. And his message was this, I took, the, I took his cup and he gave me a cup I never deserved. I didn't succeed, but he made me succeed. He gave me what I never deserved. I'm thankful, I can't stop talking about it. Would you take the different cup today? Put down the cup of God's wrath and take the cup that Jesus offers you to anyone who would receive, receive it. He wants to give you life and life forever. Not a life the world offers, a very different life. And then let it permeate your life, grow in it. And then guys, move, move, go tell somebody, go tell somebody the good news and watch what he does. And then come back and have reason to praise. You'll be thankful because you'll see he uses you. Father, Thank you for your love and thank you for the cup that you've offered us. Thank you for the promise that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Thank you for your call that you've placed on everyone in here. God, I pray for the grace to receive that and move us to those who need you now in Jesus' name.